Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Library Love Fest podcast. This is Lainey. Today, I'm very excited for our episode of Editors Unedited. We welcome Sarah Nelson, Vice President, Executive Editor at Harper Books. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for being on. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to Sarah Shoemaker, who is the author of our forthcoming Children of the Catastrophe. We are thrilled to talk to Sarah, who is at home in Michigan, about her novel, Sarah's first novel, Mr. Rochester, and we are thrilled to become her publisher now. Sarah, why don't you tell us just briefly what the topic of the book is? Um, Thank you for having me. Let me just start out by saying that there was a big fire. A friend of mine is a Greek-American, and I learned from him that his father was a child in Smyrna when the catastrophe happened. And the family knew shortly before that they needed to get out of the country, but they didn't have enough money to pay for the whole family to escape. So they chose the oldest child to be saved. And this was George's father, who was about 10 or 12 years old at the time. And so he was put on a boat all by himself and came to America and never, ever knew any relations again of his family. And George, as an adult, had known this story about his father, and he was on a Mediterranean cruise, which was supposed to go to the city of Izmir, Turkey, which is the current name of Smyrna, and the the cruise was to, anyway, sail down the long bay of, of Izmir. Of course, he was expecting to get out and walk around and see the city that his father had come from. Except that when they arrived, he was so upset, so angry, so full of the sense of loss of everything that he, as a descendant, and his father, even more so as a child of his family who were all killed, that he couldn't get off the boat. And so he never actually visited Smyrna. Well, it turns out he didn't realize this at the time. George didn't. But I had lived in the city of Izmir, which is what Smyrna is now called. I had lived there two years. And I had learned, even after I lived there, um, what had happened to Smyrna in 1922. And as I heard George's story then, later, I felt that this was a story I could write because I had lived there. And not only that, but I'd also lived in Greece, where um, George's family generations before had come from, because the majority population of Smyrna actually was Greek. 
I learned something about the story from that viewpoint. And so I felt I was a good person to write this story. So I sat down and wrote it. As Toni Morrison says, if there is a book that you would like to read and it's not been written, then you must write it. And so I did. So this book is about more than history. I mean, it's set in an an important historical moment, but uh, it's also about people. And I wonder, how did you settle on these people? How did you find these people? How did you come to know these people? Well, over the years, we've seen many families be uprooted from their homes for various reasons, most of them as refugees, actually. And it's amazing that there are 27 million refugees in the world. And I got to thinking that all of those people represent a family, a community, a way of life that is forever lost to them. And I wanted to dig into a family or two families and see what that is like to be a family that has a home, that has a a good job, that has a great deal of happiness in their lives and then lose everything. And and so I, I started to think about who that might be. And I came upon a family of a man and wife who have four daughters, which is unusual, uh, and never have a son, because that's really important in the culture in which they are. I overheard a man in Turkey one time ask another man how many children he had, and the man said, I have two. And the uh, questioner said, mashallah, which is um, God be praised. And then the other man said, and I have a daughter. And that in that culture, 20, 100 years ago, and, and in some cultures even today, is the way women were thought of. They were just a sidekick, not even a partner, anything for the man. And so this one family that has four daughters and no sons, they have a very forward-looking father, which is a good thing. As one son, no other sons, no daughters. And these two families are in a lot of ways different. And I tried to portray how that might be for them. And over the time, there are happy times and sad times and angry times and all kinds of experiences, real life experiences that people have in their normal lives. And there is a universalness in human beings, I think, that reoccurs from generation to generation. Parents love their children, want their best for their children and sacrifice for them, sometimes want to control them. But also there are differences from generation to generation. It was not that long ago that if a man in the United States suddenly decided to move to Alaska or South America, or the Saharan Desert, or wherever, and as if his wife refused to go along, she would be guilty of desertion. This was in the United States of America not that long ago. Things have changed for us and for most of the people in the world. But if we turn back to, I'll say, at the turn of the 20th century, which is where this book begins, a woman did not choose her husband. Her parents did, based on what, in their opinion, a woman, a role of a good wife should have. Good cook, good housekeeper, strong enough to do hard work, able to bear many children, uh, whatever. 
a man like Emmanuel de Murgis in The Children of the Catastrophe, the father of the four daughters, was in some ways ahead of his time in not being unhappy that he doesn't have a son. This is the way I've envisioned these families. And I just wanted the reader and myself to learn what it would be like to lose everything and how you would deal with that. And that was the seed for Children of the Catastrophe. So this book is about something that happened 100 years ago, but it's about politics dividing people. It's about various world events and how they influence families. It's hard to imagine that there's not a parallel to today. Maybe we didn't know quite how much of a parallel there would be at the time of publication, but it's kind of eerie how these themes revisit. What are your thoughts about that? Well, every time I see pictures from Ukraine, it's our most recent world events that impact people's lives seriously. I see those people now having written these books differently because I see them as individuals who've had lives. And when we see masses of refugees or when we see world events happening somewhere else, not to us, it's easy to sort of forget about them and not realize that this could be us sometime, or this could be somebody I care about sometime. And I think we really need to understand what's happening in the world around us, the larger emphasis on what it does to lives, what it would do to my life if this happened, what I would do if I lost everything. Again and again, as you said, there are all kinds of things that are going on in the world that we don't think of as affecting us right now, this minute, but we don't really think about how they might affect us next year, next month, next week, whatever. And then that's sort of what I was working toward, having more of a, of a sense of connection with people who have lost a great deal. I wonder if your experience as a librarian has influenced you as a writer. (laughs) It's influenced me, particularly with this book, in this kind of way, and it's sort of unexpected. In the early 1980s, a book was published called The Name of the Rose, written by Umberto Eco, uh, Italian. It takes place in the 14th century, I believe, and a great deal of it takes place in a library. And... As Umberto Eco wrote this book, one thing that caught my mind, maybe as a librarian, was that he saw books in a library communicating with each other, that there is a a sense of wholeness of the librarian where every book is a part of the whole and they communicate to each other in the same ways that we learn now that trees communicate with each other underground. I learned from that book and from being a librarian. And I was a librarian at the University of Michigan, which is a library that has 12 to 14 million books in it. So you can imagine, and I took every opportunity that I could to walk through the stacks. And I did imagine those books communicating with each other because the books as you know, in a library are put so that they're 
books of the same topic are all together. So you can almost imagine that the ideas are flowing through the pages from one book to the next. I mean, you know, this is a fantasy kind of thought. I enjoyed thinking about that as I worked in the library. And then um, one of the things I responsibilities I had um, was to teach class of students how to use the library as a research tool, because that's really what a university library is, is a research tool. So I learned to teach them this, but also I learned it myself, how to use a library to the best effect it could have. And of course, when one is writing about things that happen in another place and another time, even if one has been in that place at a later period of time, one needs to do a lot of research to find out who was living there, what they were like, how they led their lives, how they imagined their lives would be. Everything that you need to know is in a library somewhere. That's the most important thing that I learned as a writer by working in a library was how to use a library. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, not just how to use it, but but what you can find there, which you never imagined until you start looking. That's incredibly important to a writer. If you had to say what message or what insight do you want people to take away from this book when they read it? Well, I think for one thing, I think anytime a writer writes about people in a positive kind of way or in an appreciative kind of way, they want the readers to sense a closeness with that person or those person to, to understand that those may be different people living in different times and in different places, but they're still a lot like me. I wanted the reader to understand that what we're seeing in the world of people who are having whatever difficult time they're having in their lives, it's important, I think, for us to recognize that these are people who have the same hopes and dreams that I have, and the same kind of problems, perhaps, maybe in different ways, but similar problems. People are people, and we need to appreciate each other. Uh, now I'm getting preachy. Books are almost always about people. And if we don't read a book with an open heart and an open mind, then we're missing a lot about what we can learn about people. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm so thrilled you could be here. And I'm so pleased and proud to be publishing Children of the Catastrophe. So I guess that's it. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you soon. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. See you next week.